Bibles tonight to Ephesians chapter number 4. Ephesians chapter number 4. Well, I tried, but I, but I actually failed. And since you have no idea of what I'm talking about, why well, I'm going to explain that. You know, knowing that some people get impatient when you stay too long in one place, I, I, I really thought about trying to shorten our stay uh, here in Ephesians chapter number 4. Uh, by making one message out of uh, the section from verse 25 down through verse number 32. But, uh, you know, the more I looked at it and the more I actually made a mess out of it, and I decided, wait a minute, I'm going to take this one subject at a time. But, you know, the thought hit me is that it's a shame when you have to worry about people getting restless in the church. It, it really is. And, uh, and I understand where they're coming from. At the time of my life when I was the most excited ever, I think, about serving God was, uh, you know, within the, within the month after I first uh, surrendered to preach. And, and I'll never forget my, my pastor, the only one that I've ever had, uh, had a series from in Hebrews chapter number 11. And, uh, wow. I, I thought that was going to go on forever and ever and ever, and I was so anxious for him to get out of there. And now, the only reason really was because I was so ignorant of the Bible that, that and so many things I wanted to know, I was anxious for him to get to these other subjects. I, you know, I, I want to I want to know what happened back there whenever you know God told Noah to build the ark and all that. So I didn't know anything. And uh, and he was just locked in right there. Well, you know, I, I say all that to say this. I hope that I hope that you're not growing weary with this chapter. And so, instead of taking this entire section, we're going to we're going to just take each message in its context, and we're going to look at the subjects as they come. Now, in verse number twenty-four, our text tonight's verse twenty-five, but in verse twenty-four. Paul told us to put on the new man, and that is characterized by righteousness and true holiness. And, and now he begins to tell us some of those things that need to be put away. And so I want you to think of it as a picture of a wardrobe, and because of the change in who we are, there are certain things that ought to be discarded from our spiritual wardrobe, because they're unbecoming of a Christian. You know, just as the Lord commanded that the grave cloths be removed from, from Lazarus after he was raised, you remember that story? Uh, even though God wants us to get rid of those things that are associated with our former life, those things that identify us with our old manner of living, identify us with the ways of the world, and so in these verses that we're going to be looking at in the next few weeks, we see that there are some negatives in the Christian's life. And as I said this morning, as a child of God, we are not at liberty to do as we please, but we have freedom to do as God pleases. And so even though a lot of people, you know, resent the preacher Dealing with these negatives, well, actually, you know, the Bible's full of negatives. 
And so we, we need to consider what God says, that there are certain things that God prohibits. And so we're going to look at one of those tonight. Now, notice in verse number 25, this is our text for this evening, where he says, Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of Another. Well, it's very easy to see what the subject matter is, but I want you to notice, first of all, the reason that is presented. The reason presented, and that has to do with this word, wherefore. That word usually gets ignored, but actually it's very important because the word wherefore takes us back to the preceding context. And so what Paul is about to say is based on what he has already said, and so we need to consider that. Well, what has Paul said? Well, uh, you'll remember last week we talked about the fact that God has given us a new life, so we have a new nature we become a new person, and uh, we ought to be righteous and holy. So that's what he has been saying. So that being the case, to be righteous and holy, to put on the new person, we have to put off the old person, which has to do with lying. So these are things associated with our old manner of life and how that we ought to be different from those that are unsaved. Notice what he says back in verse number 17. He says, This I say therefore and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. So just because something is legalized by our government, just because something is made popular by politicians or ads on television or, uh, or, or what the kids learn in school or whatever else, uh, regardless of what the world thinks about it, you and I are prohibited from doing certain things because we have been made a new creature in Christ Jesus, and that's the image we need to project to those that know us, those that we come in contact with. They need, even though they may not know everything that we believe doctrinally, they might not agree with what we believe, but as I said this morning, they need to be able to look at us and say, There's something different about that person. They need to be able to see Christ in us. So this is the reason that this is presented. And and it goes without saying that makes it a very serious matter. That we're to put off line in order that we might be righteous and holy in the sight of God. So that's the reason. But notice the requirement that is proclaimed. He says, putting away line, speak every man truth with his neighbor. Now notice there's a negative and a positive here. And in the negative, he says, put away line. You know, believe it or not, one of one of the major moral issues that we struggle with today has to do with this matter of lying. Although the Bible condemns it. In fact, here's what the Bible says in Revelation 21.8, All liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone. You know, that that ought to be shocking news to a lot of people. I mean, that is amazing. You know, if it had said all whoremongers or all all uh, alcoholics or all thieves or whatever, you know, or all murderers shall have their part in the lake of fire, you know, we might not be surprised at that. 
But when it says all liars shall have their part in the lake of fire, wow, that is a shocking revelation. And since God said it, it has to be true, right? We we got to agree with that, don't we? Now, here's the problem. I Some time ago I read a survey in in regards to this, and it said 91% of Americans lie regularly. Now, this is by their own admission, understand. 91% of Americans lie regularly. And, and they tell you they do. And I don't think they're lying about that. <laughs> now, here's what's shocking. There's almost no difference between the average American and the average churchgoer, church member. Ninety-one percent, remember, lie regularly by their own omission. But listen to this. Ninety percent, ninety percent of, uh, of church members, of those that attend regularly, ninety percent of them do. And here's the quote. According to this poll, church attendance makes little difference in people's eth- uh, 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 ethical views and behavior with respect to lying, cheating, pillage, and not reporting theft. Now, now, think about that. You know, you go in the average church. I hope we're better than average. But you go in the average church and you sit down and you look around. By their own admission, 90% of the people in the congregation lie regularly. And, and they admit it. You know, and, and then we go week after week after week, you know, uh, acting as though we don't have to make anything right with God. We don't have any great spiritual need. And, and it's really amazing when you look at it. When God condemns it so strongly that He says, you know, liars shall all have their part in the lake of fire, and 90% by their own admission, and you, you've got to agree with what old Billy Graham said years ago about believing that probably 90% of all church members are, are lost. And so, uh, I mean, there's evidence of it by, you know, what they say. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying because... And we'll get to this in in just a little bit because even though you're a Christian, you can lie. That doesn't mean that you're not a Christian because you told a lie. But by the way, you can be a Christian and get drunk. You can be a Christian and kill somebody. You can be a Christian and commit adultery. Really? You can prove it from what the Bible says in regards to different people in the Bible. Because God, listen, God doesn't pull any punches. I mean, He gives us the good and the bad and the ugly about people. He paints people the warts and all, and and this is the way they are. And we go through the Bible and we look at all of these different people, great men and women of God, who committed sins. But the difference is, is in lifestyle. It's one thing to act out of character and do something that, that you know is wrong and you do it. It's one thing to do that. It's another thing to make a lifestyle out of it whereby that you are habitually committing this particular sin. And so we live in a day and a time where, you know, we just pretend like nothing is wrong and, and lying has become so firmly ingrained in our in our way of life, that it's become acceptable. Nobody thinks about it being a, a big deal, and we become masters at deception. Now, whenever we think about lying, understand that lying can take many different forms. And, and a, a lot of times we don't think about this, but they're all lies. It might be a, a half-truth. 
In, in other words, you call up and you tell your employer, you know, I'm, uh, I'm not going to come in today. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not feeling well. You know, it might be that you're really not feeling well. But does that mean that you're feeling so bad that you can't work? You know, you see what I'm saying? And we can distort the truth trying to justify what we're doing. Or there's the little white lie. You know, and it's like somebody said, people tell little white lies soon go colorblind. And and that, that's about right. But there's the little white lie where, you know, supposedly nobody's going to get hurt. And so I'll just tell this little white lie or it... You know, it might be that we're covering up for, for someone else or covering up for ourselves. Yeah, you know, you, you, you take a call and maybe you work in an office and uh, the boss tells you, I'm not in, you know. If anybody calls, I'm not in, so somebody calls, you know, is so-and-so there? Oh, no, he's not in today. This is his day off. And he's sitting right in there in his office. And, and, and what you're actually doing is, is you're covering up for someone else, or sometimes we cover up for ourselves. That's another form of lying. It might be exaggeration. That bass had to weigh, if it weighed a pound, it weighed ten. I know it did. That, it was that long, I'm telling you what. Exaggeration. Uh, the, the silent lie, you know, where somebody uh, assumes something about you. Uh, over the years, it's been strange, you know. Uh, I remember the little boy, you know, I've told you about before. I'd preach a real fiery message that morning after the church. He said to his mom and dad, he said, boy, God was mad today. Well, you know, uh, everybody but that little boy understood I wasn't God, but uh, only he and I thought, oh, no, no. <laughs> But you know what I mean. And, and I've had people over the years call me Dr. Stone. I'm not, I don't even have an honorary doctorate. And, uh, you know, Dr. Stone. Uh, no, I'm not a doctor. But, you know, uh, it, it, it would be real easy, I guess, to just let them go. If they think that, let them go ahead and believe that. You know, I talk about the fact that I've taught in Bible college, and, and I have. And so they think I'm some kind of a doctor, or, uh, or they think I've got a college degree. I don't. I didn't go to Bible college. I taught in Bible college, if that makes sense. And so it's real easy for somebody to say something, you know, about you, something good about you, and even though they are mistaken, you just let it slide. You're not about to correct them. Just let them believe what they want because it puts you in a good light. You see, this goes on and on and on. We're talking about different forms of lying. It can be cheating on your income tax. It, it can be a matter of getting the wrong change in the store. And what I do with this? Uh, ooh, I gave them a 10 and I got change for a 20. Well, their prices are too high here anyway. Just, yeah, just keep it, you know. And, and so if we're not careful, we'll find ourselves offending God, breaking His law, as it were, and getting ourselves in trouble as a result of that. By the way, this is evidence positive that the moral law has not been done away with in the New Testament. A lot of people say, oh, we're not under the law anymore. Well, under what part of the law are you talking about? 
If you're talking about, you know, the ceremonial law, no, we're not under that anymore, but we're certainly under the moral law. That's never changed. It's always been that. And we're obligated. And this matter of telling the truth is of great significance and, and uh, importance to us. Now, look at the positive side. That, the negative side is don't lie. Regardless of what form it takes, don't do it. But the positive side... Speak every man truth with his neighbor. That word neighbor implies whoever's close to you. That is, whoever's in listening distance, whoever it is that you're conversing with. This is a quotation from Zechariah chapter 8 and verse number 16. And as I just said, because of that, looking back at what the Old Testament said, and now looking at what the New Testament says, there you have the evidence here that the moral law was not done away with, and that we are not to lie, but rather that we are to give an accurate representation of the facts. That's what speaking the truth is, to give an accurate representation of the facts. That's the truth. Sometimes they're ugly. Sometimes they're painful. But those are the facts. You know, you go to the doctor and, and you go in, and it might be after a thorough examination, you know, the doctor says, look, I've run every test in the book, and there's no doubt about it, buddy, you've got cancer. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Now, you can go on, deny it. You can say, I want a second opinion. You do whatever you want to do. But, but there comes a time where you have to face the facts as they really are. And when it comes to us, engaging with one another as we relate to each other, especially within the church body, it is crucial that we know we can depend on what the other person says and we know that they're being honest and truthful with us, whatever they say. So notice the positive side to this requirement is what? The positive side is that we speak the truth. But now wait a minute, there's more to it than that. He tells us that we're to speak the truth, but he tells us that we're to do so in love. Speaking the truth in love. You look, you know, back in verse number 15, and we talked about that. That indicates that we are to be kind and gracious. It's one thing to get up and to speak the truth. And I've often said, you know, a preacher can get up and, 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 and every word he says might be true. And uh, every every reference to the Scripture might be accurate. Uh, every doctrine that it deals with might be right on the mark. So everything is true that he says, but we can say the right thing in the wrong way and do as much harm as though we had said the wrong thing. And I'm convinced a lot of times preachers have have done a, a lot of damage, not so much because of the content of the message as the attitude in which it was delivered. And so we are to speak the truth in love. And, and I understand, you know, better than anybody here other than Brother Kenneth, surely that, that in being the pastor of a church and dealing with people and getting down to the nitty-gritty where the rubber meets the road issues of life to where we, you know, we've, we've just got to try to get people to think and to respond. And, and uh, sometimes you have to be blunt. I mean, if for no other reason other than to get their attention, let them know this is serious stuff we're talking about. And so sometimes you've got to be blunt and, and in a way that some people might consider it a little bit harsh. But, uh, you know, I, I feel like that's necessary sometimes. But 
it should always come out of a heart of love. And it's real easy for preachers to develop a bitter spirit that just spews over into the congregation. And it's real easy for a preacher to use the pulpit as a whipping post, you know. You know, there's some kind of problem going on. Somebody did something you didn't like. And so, you know, in the back of your mind, you're saying, oh, just, just wait till next week. I got a sermon for them. Well, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fix them. I want to cook their goose. You know, I'll, I'll get back at them. And, uh, you know, as a pastor, you cannot allow that to happen. We are to speak the truth in love. Now, every member of the church is to do exactly the same thing. You're to be speaking the truth and do it in love. Now, by the way, that doesn't mean that we are supposed to tell everything we know. Sometimes it's a whole lot better if we remain silent. Sometimes it's better if we don't divulge all of the details. You know, we don't have to go into the details about another person and uh, tell everything we know about another person and then try to justify it like, well, it's the truth. You are dumb. <laughs> you, you know, you don't, look stu- you don't just look stupid, you are stupid. Or, you, you know, we... we, we we don't have to tell everything we know. Somebody, you know, says, boy, I'm, I just speak my mind. You know, the Bible says the fool uttereth all of his mind. We better be careful about that. We don't have any right to just say whatever comes into our mind. Uh, in, in, in the first place, you, you, people don't need to know everything you know about somebody else. And if what you're going to say about them is not going to be constructive criticism and help them in some way, then it's better off not to say it. And so, uh, and, and by the way, here's something maybe you never thought of. Unless you have two or three witnesses, in other words, unless you've got proof, you better not say it. We cannot bring charges against another person unless we have two or three witnesses. Now, they might be in the wrong. You saw them. There is no doubt about it. They are dead wrong. You are dead right. There's no doubt about it. But there's not two or three witnesses, and you can't scripturally do anything about it whatsoever. And God has that in there for a reason, because we all know how that that we are so prone to retaliate against those that hurt us and how easy it is for somebody uh, to start a, a, a smear campaign against someone and start telling lies. M- maybe do it in a way that's just suggestive, you know. Well, I heard. You know, I don't know that it's really true, but I heard or I've got an inkling. I, you know, I just got a gut feeling that, you know, they're, you know, they're doing this or that. But, that, you know, it might not be that way. Well, you've already planted the seed of doubt in their mind. They're already starting to create thoughts about that person. That's exactly what you wanted to do. Give them, a, you know, negative thoughts about the person. And you've, just, you've committed a terrible injustice when you do something like that. You violated the spirit of this teaching of speaking the truth in love. Now, this morning we talked a little bit about, you know, the, our, the, the Lord's church and His church being likened unto a body and how that every member of the body is of extreme importance. Well, whenever we think about the physical body, we understand that it depends greatly on communication. You know, uh, 
my, my brain, what brain I have, has to communicate. And, you know, my, my right hand and left hand has to be able to function. They can't both do, you know, what, you know, they might want to do. They've got to work in cooperation one with another. And whenever we think about the church body and our interaction with each other, we've got to know that we can depend upon one another. And to know that when they say something, you know, that we know that they are telling us the truth. And so the health of the church body depends upon us being honest with one another. Now, that same thing's true in any relationship, in a marriage or anything else. Relationships have to be built upon a mutual trust. Whenever love is absent, as I said this morning, I don't know why I keep getting back to what I said this morning, but it just happens. And, you know, without love, we're going to be suspicious. Without love, we're going to be critical. And uh, so it leads to a lot of problems when love is lacking. So if we're to have a good relationship one with another in the church, be strong and able to function as it ought to, then we've got to speak the truth in love with each other. You know, just screaming and yelling at, 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 at people, you know, that, that's not going to get the job done. Uh, as I've said before, you can say anything you need to say and say it in a spirit of love. And uh, any good teacher will tell you, you know, that it's important how you deal with those children, for example, in the class. And, you know, if you, some of these little children are so fragile, we, we, we just absolutely do not realize how fragile those children are sometimes. And, uh, boy, we can injure them just by the tone of our voice. Uh, and by the way, children aren't the only ones that's fragile. There's a lot of adults that, you know, they wear their feeling, you know, on their sleeves and, and, you know, they very, get very emotional and what have you and somebody will, you know, say something to them and, and it just, even though they didn't mean anything wrong and, and their heart is grieved. So the positive side, this is the responsibility that we not lie, but rather that we speak the truth and do it in love. Now, one last thing I want to talk about. And that's the road that prevails. In other words, and what I'm about to say is not stated here in our text, but it's certainly taught in the Bible, and we could spend at least an hour talking about this. You know, it's one thing to just identify the problem and talk a little bit about the problem. It's another thing, you know, to try to, uh, to build some bridges to get us uh, across the, uh, across the, the, the gap there between where we ought to be and where we are. Our text says putting away lying. So it's obvious that God expects effort on our part. Notice, putting away, that, that tells me I've got a responsibility. He's telling me I've got to do something. In other words, this isn't automatic. God's not saying, okay, I saved you and now I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to make you 100% perfectly honest and truthful. He says, you put off the old garment. You put on the new garment. And as I mentioned last week, this is something that, look, this is something that we can't do without God, but it's something that God's not going to do for us without our effort either. So he says, you know, lay aside this, get rid of that. 
And so God's expecting us to make an effort. So let me give you, let me give you five things that maybe, and I'm just going to be brief with this, but five things that might help you on this, on this road that will lead to success in regards to speaking the truth. Number one, recognize the source of truth. Well, that's the easiest thing of all, and that's the fact that God is the source of truth. The Bible says He is the only true God. The Bible says He cannot lie. The Bible says that His Word is true. The Bible teaches us that Jesus is the very embodiment of truth. The Bible describes the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of truth. So the source, the source of truth is God Himself. On the other hand, on the other side of the coins, the Bible says Satan is a liar and the father of lies. So he's the father of falsehood. He's a liar. He's a deceiver. And so, you know, obviously, whenever we, whenever we willingly know that we're not being honest with one another, uh, we, we need to stop and consider whose side we're on at the moment there. And I don't know about you, but I want to be on the right side. I want to be on God's side. And you hear a lot of people talk about, you know, uh, God being on our side as Americans. Well, the important thing is not that God's on our side, but that we get on God's side. That's the important thing, that our relationship be right. So we need to recognize the source of truth and then realize the importance of truthfulness. The importance of truthfulness. You know, generally, if we're, if we're going to tell a lie, you know, we generally think about there being something in it for us. We, we generally think about it being a profit to us in some way. In other words, if, if I tell this little white lie, you know, or if I just stretch the truth a little bit, it'll save me some embarrassment or it will enable me to make an advancement in some way or, you know, whatever. And uh, But whenever, whenever we realize the importance of it and begin to realize that God hates lying, so we're doing something that God hates, and we need to keep that in mind. We're doing something that God hates. You know, it's one thing to say that truth, you know, is the basis for all good communication with each other. That's an important factor, that we know we can trust each other. That's very important. But the most important thing of, of all is that God hates lying. God hates falsehood. Now, to be real easy, you know, if we mention some of those other sins that we are so adamantly opposed to, boy, we just got that long list of sins, and oh, yeah, we know God hates adultery and God hates murder. And, but wait a minute, God hates lying. And are we actually going to engage in, in, in something that, that God very clearly says He hates? I've often said, you know, Christians need to do a study on the word abominations and go through the Bible and read all of the references pertaining to the things that God says are abominations to Him. These are things that makes God sick to His stomach, to put it in everyday language. Something that God despises, something that God hates. And so that that alone ought to be a motivation for us to speak the truth. So we need to recognize the source of truth, which is God, realize the importance of telling the truth, 
But then we need to take it a step further and not just realize the importance of it, but we need to resolve to do it. You know, a lot of people seem to be against resolutions. I don't know why. Maybe it's a bad experience from New Year's resolutions, you know. Boy, I'll tell you, this year I'm going to do better and so on and so forth, and we keep failing. And, and, uh, and a lot of people say, well, it would just be better not to make any resolutions, really. I don't know. I kind of like what Joshua said, but as for me and my house, we serve the Lord. I, I think that's a good resolution. And I think it's a good resolution whenever we make that act of commitment on our part. This is a prior commitment. Before the temptation comes, you've often heard me say that it's too late to, it's too late to prepare for the crisis after the crisis hits. You're standing in the hospital room and what have you, you know, and, uh, and, and you're praying, oh, dear God, please, you know, heal my child or whatever. If you haven't prepared yourself and strengthened yourself by the Word of God then, let me tell you right now, when the pastor comes in and opens up and says, let, you know, let's, let me read you some comforting verses from God's Word, Romans 8, 28. We know all things work together for good. Blah, 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 blah. You, you, know, you, know, you know how much that's going to help you? Zero. Not going to help you a bit. You've got to be prepared ahead of time. Not only that, but you have to be prepared in regards to temptation. Because there's a lot of people, look, if, if, if we haven't, if we haven't re- already resolved, made that prior commitment that regardless of what happens, I am going to be honest, I'm not going to lie. If, if we don't do that, when the pressure is on and the temptation comes our way and all of a sudden we're caught on the horns of a dilemma and what are we going to do? That's when we generally cave in to the self-imposed pressure of trying to protect ourselves and we end up telling a lie. And it can happen to anyone, absolutely anyone. So it's important that we resolve to tell the truth. Number four, we need to repent immediately. In other words, confess your sin ASAP. I mean, uh, as soon as it happens. You tell the lie. Maybe it's just a slip of the tongue. Maybe, you know, you really didn't intend to, but some way you, you did. And the best thing to do is say, oh, no, 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 wait a minute. I've got, I, I was wrong. That's not, that's not the way it really happened. That bass wasn't that big, you know. You know what will happen if you do that? If you repent immediately every time, if you get in the habit of doing that, after a while, after a while you'll eventually get tired of embarrassing yourself. Because that's really embarrassing to admit to someone, oh, no, I'm sorry, I just lied to you. Yeah, the boss is in, but look, I, you know, he told me not, he told me he's not taking any calls today, and, and, and I'm sorry, I didn't, I'm sorry that I deceived you. And, and after a while, you'll start telling the truth instead of trying to, you know, overcome the embarrassment of it. But then, number five, and lastly, we need to remind ourselves of the consequences of lying. There's several verses in the book of Proverbs, and I thought just a while ago as I was sitting there in, the, in my chair and I kept thinking back to Proverbs and all of the verses that could be used in this regards. And, and I can sum them all up, I think, in just two. And uh, that is in one place where it says, you know, the liar shall not go unpunished. 
there's a price to pay for lying. But then there's another verse there in Proverbs, chapter 21, verse 8. It says, the liar shall perish. You know, there's a difference between being, being punished and actually perishing. And when we stop and think that lying, number one, it grieves the heart of God. It grieves the Holy Spirit. Now, as I said at the very beginning, so many times lying has become such an acceptable thing in our world today. We don't really think anything about it. It's not a big deal. It's not on the same level as adultery and murder and all of those things. And so, you know, we have a service and it might be that the Spirit of God is dealing with somebody's heart about them having been dishonest with someone. And some, by the way, some people have been, been living a lie for years and years and years and years. They've been leading some Somebody to believe one thing when they know just the opposite is the, is the truth. And then we come down to the invitation at the end of the message, and people stand there singing, Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and, and then walk out of the service just like there was absolutely nothing that I needed to repent of. And the heart of God is grieved. God hurts when we sin, whether it's lying or whatever else. But but here's the thing about it. It not only grieves the heart of God, and that's the most important thing, but another result of it is the fact that lying hurts other people. It hurts other people. It always, sooner or later, it, it ends up hurting somebody else. And we would be better off to either tell the truth or, or say, I'm not going there. I'm not talking about it. I'm not, I, I'm not going to answer. You don't have to answer every question. And, and there's nothing deceptive about that whatsoever. I don't think you ought to answer every question. Like that one commercial on TV, I don't remember which one it is. They're buying a car. This couple goes in, and, and uh, so they can't make up their mind. The guy says, oh, not enough drama for you. you know, have you seen it? And he says, no. I said, okay. And he calls somebody else in to hook this dude up to a lie detector, you know, and uh, start asking him questions and or says to the wife, do you have any questions for him? He's all hooked up there. And she says, you think my sister's prettier than I am? <laughs> and he rips those wires off, you know. I mean, uh, maybe I touched a nerve out there. No, I don't know. Uh, I can answer that question real easy. Ain't nobody's sister prettier than my wife, so I, you know, I don't, I don't have to lie about that. I, but you get, the, you, you get what I'm saying. Sooner or later, you know, we don't, have to, we don't have to answer every question, but we need to be honest about every question because if we don't, we're going to end up hurting somebody. Somebody's going to get hurt. Not only does it grieve the heart of God, not only does it hurt other people, but lying in some way or another, if you don't stop it, if you don't correct it, it'll ruin you. I can't, I can't but help think about Ananias and Sapphira there in the book of Acts. And I want you to get the picture. Boy, the church is on fire. 
All of these people being saved. The church is growing by leaps and bounds. And, uh, you know, I mean, everything's going great. And people, you know, that Barnabas had some property in Cyprus and sold it and took the money and brought it and gave it to the apostles, said, here, I want to have a part of this and gave the money. Well, Ananias and Sapphira, it's kind of like, you know, a lot of people just, they, they react to whatever everybody else is doing. You know, you take up a big love offering. Somebody says, well, I'll give $1,000. And, you know, somebody else says, well, I can't let them outdo me. You know, I'll give a thousand and one. I don't know what was going on in their heart. I just know this. I just know that they made a promise. God didn't ask them to do it. God did not command them, this is what I want you to do. They just decided, this is what we're going to do. We're going to sell our property and we're going to give the money, uh, you know, to the Lord's church. But after they sold the property, for some reason or another, college fund, nah, you know, medical emergency, I don't know. New car fever, I don't know. But for some reason, they promised to give one thing and they held back part of it. Now, I've got to tell you, I don't know what you think, but I think these were saved people. I I really do. Had they not been saved, I've got a feeling that they might have got by with that lie for a while until Judgment Day. And but God said, "Oh no, oh no, we're not, I'm not putting up with that." And God killed both of them on the spot. You know that all. Getting back to those lies, the deception, I'm telling you, you're not just grieving the heart of God and hurting other people. You are endangering yourself because God's not playing games. He's dead serious about this. When He tells us that we're to put off lying, and the reason we do that is why? Because we are to live holy and righteously before the Lord. Put off lying and to speak the truth, and to do it in love. And I'll tell you what, whenever we conform our ways to God's Word, there's always blessing just going to follow. You know, so many times, and I'll say this and I'm through, a church will go through a dry spell. You're not seeing anything happen. Nobody getting saved. Nobody baptized. Nobody joining the church. And you just hit a dead spot. And you start wondering, what in the world is wrong? And the preacher racks his brain and he starts thinking, well, maybe I've been preaching the wrong messages. Maybe I need to go in a different direction. Maybe I need better illustrations. Or maybe it's time to bring in some some other preacher and let him preach a week revival. Or, you know, you try to think, what is wrong? And it goes on and on and on, maybe for many weeks or several months or whatever. And, and all of a sudden... All of a sudden, the truth comes out about something, and now you know. Now you know. You see, everything I do, everything you do, has an effect on this church. When it's talking about husbands and wives, you know, and Peter's talking about that very thing. And he's talking about husbands dwelling with their wives according to knowledge. And if you don't, what? Lest your prayers be hindered. 
Do you realize that regardless of whether it's me or Brother Kenneth preaching, and regardless of how well we preach or whatever else, your conduct as a member of this church can affect the result of what happens in a worship service. We, we, we're all involved in this, folks. You know, that's like, you, you know, my right hand reach out and slap somebody and my left hand say, well, I didn't do it. No, but you're in for a fight regardless. I mean, it involves, it involves the action of my whole body, right? And so when we begin to realize how serious this is, and we would all, listen, we would all, we would all, well, we would grieve, but we, we would understand if God said, look, there's adultery going on within the church body. I, I cannot bless the church at this time with that going on. Or, or there's this or that. I hesitate to, you know, get started on the list, but these, we would understand it. But it's like we're really surprised that God would say, I'm going to withhold my blessing because there's dishonesty going on within the church body. But that really, that shouldn't shock us at all. That's just how serious this matter is. Put away lying and speak the truth. Every man to his neighbor, speak the truth in love. Let's all stand together. Father, how we thank you, Lord, for the instruction, how we thank you for the warnings. And then, Lord, we thank you that not only have you given us this information, not only have you warned us of the consequences of ignoring your word, but you've given us of your spirit to enable us to conform our ways to your word. And God, forgive us of the times that we, for whatever reason and in whatever way, that we distort the truth and that we grieve your heart. Help us, Lord, to be honest with one another. Help us to be honest before you. Help us to be honest with ourselves about our spiritual condition. And Lord, help us tonight if there's anything whatsoever in our lives that is displeasing in your sight. I pray that you might reveal it and that we might confess it and that even even next Sunday we'll see some lost soul saved and somebody added to the church. We don't deserve any of these blessings, but but we come asking them all in Jesus' name and depending upon your grace. In his name we pray, amen. While we stand, we sing this verse of invitation if you're here and God speaking to your heart, whether you just want to come and pray, whatever it is, you let God have his way. 371. Have thine own way. Just an old lump of clay.
for your attention. Thank you for being here. Be much in prayer for our services Wednesday night, of course, and, and, and then next Sunday also. Uh, you know, I, I remember back years ago that we would uh, uh, we'd started the church there in Fairgrove and uh, just a little handful of people we met first in, in our home, in fact, for a couple of weeks, and finally got a little rented building and so forth, and then under the under the brush arbor, and uh, I'll, I'll never forget that uh, that that year we had 52 baptisms, one every week, and we were having people. This is in a town with a population of 400, and uh, nearly every week we were seeing people saved, and whenever I think back on that, you know. I, I, I understand why. It wasn't my preaching. It was that if we went one or two weeks without somebody being saved, I didn't have to say a word. I can just guarantee you when the invitation started, there there would be five or ten people up there on their knees praying because it's like I can't believe it. We've gone two or three weeks now without anybody being saved. And boy, people would start praying and what would happen the next week? It would be three or four or five people saved. And I'm telling you, it makes a difference uh, because everything we do depends on doing it in the spirit of prayer. Well, let's bow our heads. Brother Carl Young, would you word our prayer tonight, please? <laughs> 